Please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Luke chapter 6. Before we take a look at God's Word, let's look to Him in prayer once again. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for not leaving your people alone. You have given us your spirit, you've given us your word, and we pray now that your word and spirit would give us a growing understanding of who you are, who we are, what we are called to do, and the power that we have through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So be pleased, Father, to feed your people. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are here in week number 19 of knowing for sure the gospel according to Luke. Now, I want to ask us a question, begin with a question. When was the last time you were up all night and didn't sleep at all? When was the last time... You were up all night and didn't sleep at all. Was it due to illness, your own, or maybe someone you were caring for? Were you up all night and didn't sleep at all because you were worried about something? You were afraid of something? You were anxious? Were you up all night uh, because there was an emergency? Uh, There were repairs that had to be made. There was travel that had to be done. Now, students, or former students, was there ever this kind of an emergency that there's a paper due tomorrow and you haven't even started it today? Is there an up all night getting ready for a test tomorrow that you haven't even begun to study? I think most of us who have been students have had an all-nighter or two. Um, It reminds me of uh, on my ship, on the ship's office, there was this sign that said, failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on our part. So please come back during normal hours. Yes, I did fail to plan a time or two and was up all night writing, studying, and I'm sure you were as well. Well, today's text We read of Jesus being up all night, not because of an illness, not because of an emergency, but up all night to pray, purposeful prayer, prolonged prayer, prayer that proceeds and leads to an important choice. Luke is this written witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. And he's writing this orderly account so that he can provide certainty about who Jesus is and what he came to do. We read that in Jesus' own words, he came to seek and to save the lost. And we have been seeing and will continue to see in Luke that who Jesus seeks and saves are all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. You see, Luke wants his reader then and his readers now to know for sure that this Jesus, that this Jesus is for real and today's text will help us continue to get to know 
this Jesus. Now, two weeks ago when we were here last, we looked at the first 11 verses of chapter um, 6 in works of necessity and mercy. And we saw there Jesus making a declaration about who's actually in charge. He, he's asking a question about the true purpose of the law and he's issuing a, a warning against the hardness of heart. And you'll see in verse 11 we read, but they, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We see here the continuing escalation, the, the opposition that's being formed against Jesus. And those scenes in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6 were, were works of necessity, where Jesus and his disciples ate on the Sabbath, and, and works of mercy, his healing in the synagogue on the Sabbath, helping us to better understand what can and should be done, as it were, on the Lord's day. And these works of, of necessity and mercy, as we mentioned last time, point forward to an even greater work of necessity and mercy, that is the salvation of sinners. Now in this narrative account, Luke is going to move from two Sabbath days to a particular night and day in the early stages of his ministry, of the ministry of Jesus. Join with me as I read verses 12 through 16 of chapter 6. In these days, he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Well, we're going to open up and explore our text by considering three things. I believe it's in an outline. Jesus' prayer, his people, and his plan. So let's look at Jesus' prayer. Interestingly, only Luke of all the gospel writers draws attention here to Jesus spending all night in prayer. Why? Well, prayer is a theme in Luke. In his narrative, he includes Jesus praying at significant moments in his life and ministry. You may recall at the time of his baptism, Jesus spent time in prayer. You'll see it in a little bit in Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, and you'll see it during the time of the transfiguration. Jesus spends time in prayer. Now, the prayer life of Jesus in Luke is not as detailed as, say, we would see it in John, when you're almost invited into the inner life of, of Jesus' prayer life. But what we see here, deliberately, unmistakably, clearly, that Jesus purposely went out to the mountain to pray, and that all night he continued in prayer. Now, have you ever asked the question, why, why would Jesus need to pray? Well, in general, because he's fully human, in addition to being fully divine. And, and he's human. And humans 
Christians, believers of God, are called to, to pray. But, but in particular, Jesus is looking back to what he's already been facing. And he's certainly looking ahead to what he will be facing. Now, for what, for what could he be praying? I think the context is key. Um, he's praying most likely about his calling. Remember in chapter 4, to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, sight, to declare that this is the year of the Lord's favor. He, he knows he's called to, to seek and to save the lost. He's praying about his calling. He's also praying in view of the conflict that is already starting to arise. Opposition from people, opposition in particular from religious leaders and teachers. But also, of course, as our text lets us know, he's praying for his choice. He's praying to choose. He's not so much choosing to pray. Uh, he cannot but pray. There's no option He's not choosing to pray, rather he's praying to choose. To choose those 12 whom he named apostles. Not so much Jesus all night choosing to pray as Jesus all night praying to choose. What, what, what motivates Jesus? What, what, what motivates us to pray. Jesus knew his need. He also knew his father and his father's provision. We just sang that hymn about caring, coming to the God who cares. Take it to the Lord in prayer. God will supply. He longs for his children to come and ask. Jesus knew his need. He knew his father before we go on, let's just ask ourselves, do we know our need? Do we know our Father and His provision? Now, H.B. Charles Jr., in his book, It Happens After Prayer. It's a great title for a book. I mean, the, the whole book can be captured by the title, It Happens After Prayer. Listen to what H.B. Charles Junior says, prayer is an expression of submission to God and dependence upon him. For that matter, prayer is arguably the most objective measure of our dependence upon God. Think of it this way. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. It happens after prayer. As we will see, as we have heard, the choice of the 12 to be apostles happens after prayer. Jesus prayed, you see, in order to be prepared to make a choice. Which of his disciples would become his apostles and thus become the foundation of his church? So let's move to those apostles, his people. You see, his choice here is this transition now between his prayer and his people. We heard earlier in the Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading about God choosing. 
And if anything, that should lead us to humility, all of us, not arrogance. The other day I was driving in my car and I didn't even know I had a CD player. I'd forgotten I had a CD player. I much less forgot that I had a CD in the player. And I hit the button and these are the words that I heard um, from the hymn, All I Owe, chosen not for good in me. Chosen not for good in me. An echo, of course, of the Deuteronomy reading, reflective of the First Corinthians reading, chosen not for good in me. Now we hear the word apostle. What does it mean? Well, it reminds us, of course, of this group of men who had a leading position in the early church. Uh, the Greek word that's translated as apostle means to send out, sending out his companions on mission. A Latin translation would be where we get the word missionary. Someone appointed, commissioned, ordained for a particular purpose. Uh, one sent out on a special commission. You see, it was a word in use in that culture, but it's being applied here to the men Jesus is going to choose. You see, in Luke's writing, the term often refers to the 12. If you flip over to chapter 9, you'll read of these men being sent out to represent him with delegated authority to preach, to work miracles. You know, we spent quite a bit of time in Luke volume 2, Acts, and do you remember the, the cumbersome but very helpful of the book of Acts. Remember, if you call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, you may emphasize the Holy Spirit too much. If you call it the Acts of the Apostles, you may emphasize the, the, the man side. Well, remember this title, the Acts of the Exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church, founded by him through the Apostles. Through the Apostles. New leadership for a new community. Interestingly, Luke places it here immediately after this, this remark of a plot going to be formed. What were these religious leaders going to do about Jesus? New wine, new wineskins, a new community. And we, we, we see here this listing of the 12 apostles. You can find it in Matthew 10 and Mark 3, also in Acts 1. And it's an echo, of course, of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's, it's the fulfillment of the promises. These will be fathers, as it were, of new Israel. Now, the, the list varies a bit, but some things in the list of the 12 apostles are the same. Peter is always first in every list. And Judas Iscariot is always last. And if you'll notice, there's uh, three groups of four, three quartets, and the head of each quartet is the same, Peter, Philip, and James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, there's a, com a composition of the crew. Let's look at the character of the crew, and I've been dying to say this expression here. It indeed is a motley crew, is it not? It's a cross-section of humanity. You've got small businessmen. You've got a civil servant, a, a political activist. You've got brothers. You've got hot-tempered individuals. You've got a natural leader. You've got a, a constitutional doubter, someone who just almost defaults to doubt. 
You've got a skeptical believer. Ordinary men and a strange mixture. I think the most immediate example is Matthew or Levi, a tax collector, and Simon the zealot, zealous for the law, but becoming part of an organized um, political party at the center of the Jewish resistance to Roman rule. You've got someone working for the state, in other words, and someone working against the state. Now, what do we learn? Well, we learn Jesus builds his church with different people. He, he unites people who otherwise would be enemies. In that quote I sent out a week or so ago from D.A. Carson in called Love in Hard Places, it was that, that in the church, natural enemies are united because of a common love for Jesus. Jesus calls the unexpected and the unlikely to his mission. I mean, step aside for a moment and think about it. If you have a project and you need people to work this project, who are you going to choose? The skilled, the able, the qualified, the people that have already got the resume, right? Jesus doesn't exactly do that. You see, he, he transforms people in the course of following him. You think of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. I am not what I once was. I'm not yet what I one day will be. But what I am, I am by the grace of God. Jesus transforms, changes, grows people as they follow him. He equips those people who follow him those people he calls, he equips them to serve him. He, he brings out the best in people. But interestingly, Jesus also allows tares to exist among the wheat. Jesus here is speaking of the visible church, the church that we can see with our eyes, not the church that's invisible to our own eyes, the church as God sees it. Jesus chooses Judas Iscariot, who, as Luke phrases it, who became a traitor. We've spoken briefly about his prayer all night, his people, these 12 men that ordinary, strange mixture of men, but, but Jesus has also got a plan. And you know what the plan is? We've already seen it. Prayer and people. To, to pray prayers and to use people. Now when I say use people, don't think abuse people. Don't think use people to wear them out and put them away. Don't think use people for your own advantage. No, Jesus prays prayers and he uses people. Let's spend a few moments thinking a bit more about prayer. I think our text gives us some insight that prayer does not mean life is going to be smooth, easy, with no suffering. 
After prayer, Jesus chooses Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. You see, we think of Jesus submitting to the will of his father, maybe only in the garden of Gethsemane. Here on the mountain, Jesus is submitting to the will of his father. And not just in the garden, not just here on the mountain, but in all of life. Jesus says, I I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In looking at the fact that after prayer, Jesus chooses Judas Iscariot, Dale Ralph Davis says this, that prayer is the mysterious companion of the providence of God. And that Jesus' earnest prayer did not magically prevent the disaster of Jesus. And then he says this, and I had to read it several times. Prayer may not always resolve mysteries, but may intensify them. Do we not sometimes want everything to be clear and understandable, no mystery, but yet prayer invites us sometimes into the very mystery and we don't escape it. Jesus prays and he chooses Judas Iscariot. So remember his plan to pray prayers and to use people. The apostles, men called and chosen, as Mark says, to be with him and to be sent out. A few years ago, the former Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, said this, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you might want or wish to have. But my friends, Jesus wanted to have these men. Jesus wants to have you. Remember in Acts, Acts chapter 4, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, a couple of the apostles, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. With Jesus. If there's anything that I think you and I could encourage one another and encourage others is encourage people to be with Jesus, right? Encourage them to get to know Jesus. If, if this church can do anything, it is to point people to Jesus, who we know as the author and finisher of our faith. Lives are transformed as people are with Jesus. These apostles carry on the work and mission of Jesus. They lay the foundation for the church. The Apostles' Creed, it's not written by the apostles, but it's a good summary of their teaching that, was, that came together in the first few centuries of the church. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. A church founded 
by the apostles, the prophets, with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Well, I want us to wrap up now thinking about the church, her leadership and her people. See, leadership in the church today, we we don't have apostles. We have their writings, we have the word, but we don't have apostles. Rather, we have elders who are shepherds and we have deacons who are servants. When I was getting ready to come out here to follow the call to establish a new church here in Northern Kentucky, I asked my former pastor, I said, Bob, what do I need to know about leadership in the church? And he said this to me. He said, just be sure to lead the church in repentance and faith. Have I done that well? Maybe at times, but certainly not all the time. Lead the church in repentance and faith. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Repentance and faith. Who's first on the list? Peter. What did Peter do? He repented. Who's last on the list? Judas Iscariot. What did he not do? Repent. Years ago, I was listening to a talk given by a fellow PCA minister in London speaking at a conference, and it was under the title, What the Church Needs Most in a Leader. And this is what he said, My dear friends, most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, the competent, and the successful. But what you need most in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his sin and even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace, the number one leaders in every church ought to be the men who repent the most fully without excuses because you don't need any now, the most easily without bitterness, the most publicly and the most joyfully. They know their standing isn't based on their performance. These 12 men, with the exception, of course, of Judas, they were with Jesus They weren't yet what they would one day be. But encountering Jesus in walking with him, serving with him, they they got close to the radical, life-changing grace of God in the flesh. Who is this man? The grace of God has appeared. You see, we're in this age and stage of the church's life that we need to to nominate men to serve as elders and deacons. Not perfect men, not men who've got it all together, but men who you may be observing have some gifting and who they themselves may know that they have some gifting. You know, what what should we do? We should pray, ask God, God, who should I nominate? And then nominate, right? Jesus prayed, and then he chose. So my encouragement to all of you here at Grace and Peace who are members, pray over the next day or so, and then nominate and see what the Lord does with that. So, and then finally, not just leadership in the church, but people in the church. See, these apostles, although they are foundational, they're sort of 
representative also. They're, they're chosen people. They're chosen to be with Jesus and to be sent out by him on behalf of him and his message. Because people in the church, you and me, we are chosen people. We're, we're called on the basis of grace, not merit. We're, we're chosen, not choice. And this is humbling, isn't it? But it also brings security because his love for us, God's love for us is like the love of a parent with a child. It's not based on performance and strengths. It's based on relationship. And this self-understanding is at the very root of what I believe makes Christians different. We are humbled, yet filled with boldness at the same time. And so not only are we in the church chosen people who are called on the basis of grace, but we are called into community. We're called not into just this individual relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just disciple in a series of one-to-one appointments. Rather, he discipled a corporate community. He created a new community, these ordinary men, this strange mixture of men, natural enemies. He created a new family with him at the head and with him at the center back then. And now today he does the same thing. He builds a new family with him crucified and risen at the head of this new family as he's present with his people by his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we see in this passage that those who were called and chosen, it was not based on performance. It was not based on prior success. It was based on your love and your mysterious ways. But Father, may this be an encouragement to us. May this be um, something that anchors us, but also sends us out with power. That you can use anybody when they disregard their status and when they disregard depending on themselves but looking to you to provide. Oh, Father, help us as people to be united at the cross of Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen.